Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, host of The Big Picture. Did you just see the latest tentpole blockbuster? Or a surprisingly fun new movie on a streaming service? Or maybe you just want to bone up on the greatest films ever made? From reviews to rankings, career retrospectives to movie drafts, and everything in between, The Big Picture is here for you. Listen to The Big Picture for free on Spotify. I was a Fred Lynn guy, but I liked all of them. I was a Fred Lynn guy, too. Fred I mean, Lynn that was whole outfield, I mean, yeah. Evans, Lynn, and Rice, and then Yastrzemski, of course. That was Those were my guys. Um, I did, when in 99, at the, the All-Star game, when they played it at Fenway, I did the celebrity hitting challenge and was on a home run, you know, a celebrity team with Jim Rice. So, oh, really? Yeah. Was he, he nice to you? Oh, he was great. Yeah. He was great. I mean, he was known as kind of being ornery. Yeah. That was always his reputation, but he was super nice and, and, uh, and was still belting home runs. Right. I mean, in 99. So he was probably, gosh, what he would have been, 50s or 40? Late, no, I guess. Yeah, like late 40s, early 50s. Late 40s, yeah. early 50s. I guess so. I'm 47. So I guess it's not that surprising. You still you've worn a track power now? Uh, I did. You know, in fact, back then, we got that night, the night before the All Star game, uh, the, the, the old Greensman there used to do it 20 years ago. Joe Moody was his name. And he, yeah. And he, he led us on the field. And I got to go on the field with my dad and with my brother and with a few, like a handful of friends. And we had batting practice from midnight till one in the morning. And it was, it was. They put in, the lights on for you? They put, they, they had the lights on because they were, they were literally, they were literally drawing, putting the lines down for the game. And, and I hit the wall. My dad was a pitcher in college and, uh, and I hit the wall, you know, wood bat off my dad. And that was it. It was like with the joke that night, we were driving out of there and we were like, I said, I'm never going to need therapy. Because <laughs> <laughs> like that just happened. And we, and we were saying we should just jump off the Prue. Like that's it. We peaked. <laughs> We've all peaked. Like just, it was, it was the most awesome. Sean McDonough was there. Sean yeah. was one of the people with us. And there was like a handful of people. It was just this unbelievable moment. Uh, what happened on the Oprah show when you got a Pedro jersey? Yeah, I went on the show and that was at, that was after that 99 season <clears throat> when he had the just the the greatest, you know, yeah. one, one of the greatest seasons ever for a pitcher. And, and out of nowhere, I mean, Oprah being Oprah, you know, I mean, people get cars on that show sometimes, you know, I mean, she, and she's, I have a gift for you. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, I didn't, and she, I opened this thing and it was Pedro's one of, he, he had four jerseys. He had two home and two away. And it was one of his for the travel whole year. jerseys for that year. Yeah. Oh my God. So that. So it had the little tag on it? It's got, it's the, it's his thing. And he, and he, and he signed it to me. And uh, so that was, you know, in, in terms of like my life being, becoming totally surreal 20 years ago when, around the time of rounders. So it's like the- Oscars, you hit a double off the wall in Fenway and Pedro gave you a jersey yeah. on like a and, two uh, year span. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing you're still here. And then I re- and I realized then that I lived inside the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go backwards because we uh, want to get to the rounder stuff. But you, for years and years, you had it's interesting. We talked about this. We did a rewatchables podcast about rounders that we haven't run yet. But we were talking about how you're part of this era of '90s actors. Like when we were growing up, we always heard about the guys from The Godfather, right? And oh, they idolized Brando, but then this whole new class came out, and it was those guys, and then De Niro, and um, 
your era never is considered to be an era, but it really kind of was an era. And I remember you telling me there was this whole stretch where you guys were all going for the same movies and there were all people that became pretty famous. Yeah. I mean, out, out here in the early nineties, there was a handful of, you know, in terms of leading men that, you know, that I would go up against. You know, I mean, it was it was a lot of the guys in School Ties. You know, the movie that yeah. we did, and the guys in Days. Stop and it! Like, for, I like how you pretend I'm not aware of. School no, Ties. but I mean, you know, it's not the. It's the, it wasn't a big hit movie. It's not like Days and Confused, which, although it wasn't a huge hit, it was. A, it's really a the cult. big ensemble young cast. Yeah, and yeah. so if you looked around, all those actors who were kind of in that in those in those movies that were around then were pretty much the people that that would you'd see. You know, you you'd go in, you'd get called back, you'd get called back again. It would get whittled down. And you'd see like, you know, Ben or, or, or McConaughey or, or, you know, you'd hear Ed. Was Norton's Leo in this whole world? No, Leo point? was already a star. Yeah. Leo was already like, you know, cause he kind of blew up with this boy's life when he was probably 13 or 14. And then, and then he did Gilbert Grape. So yeah. Leo wasn't auditioning. for That anything. was it. He was just yeah. snapping his Yeah, fingers. no, I, like, I, like I auditioned for the basketball diaries. It was like, Leo's doing the basketball diaries. There's another part. Do you want to audition <laughs> for it? You know what I mean? So that, so he wasn't, he was already, and he's a little younger than us too. Yeah. Um, so I you think had, I think he's probably, I, I, I want to say he's probably five years younger than, than our, than, you know, if you look at Ben and me and McConaughey and. Uh, Is Brad Pitt in there? Brad's older than us. And Brad was also massively famous. I mean, Thelma and Louise was what, 91 or 92? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, he was, so he it was already Brad happened. Pitt. I remember working with him. There was something that on Oceans that George wanted us to do. I forget what it was. It was some appearance or something. And Brad said no. And George looked at me and goes, well, look. He goes, uh, he goes you can't really blame the guy. I mean, he's Brad Pitt. And he's been Brad Pitt a lot longer than we've been us. <laughs> like even the, like even then, I mean, George kind of subsequently just become this kind of international icon, but you know, around oceans, we were, he was, you know, he was transitioning off of ER. He was, and Pitt was just, I mean, I remember the first time we went to Europe on that movie for, to promote. And George just tells the story of people like stepping over our faces in order to get to Brad. Like, they, you know, we were completely invisible. We used to send him out like before us because there would be like a thousand people outside the hotel. And we just say, just Brad, just walk out to the left. And they would go completely bananas. And George and I would just walk out to the right and just go to dinner. <laughs> like, it's no problem. But like George he, is in that class, right? Does he, he is count? now. He is yeah. now. But, but, but he was, you know. He's toiling away <laughs> doing his own thing, trying to get seen. Yeah. Well, he was doing, you know, he was, he was still locked onto his ER contract. Yeah. Uh, so but I'm he, talking early nineties though. He was doing oh, like TV pilots, all that shit. Oh, early nineties. Yeah. yeah. I think ER was like 94. Three yeah. 94. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, he was, he was, Ben met him at a barbecue. I remember he came back. He said, I met this really cool guy. He said he's he's done ten pilots that have gotten picked up, and none of them, <laughs> none none of them, them made. And it. they all got they all got made, and then they all either you know like did they were on for two episodes or eight you know eight of them and then just got canceled. Did you have one of those, or you just were movies, movies from the get-go? no? It was always movies. Yeah. Why was that? Uh, well, TV was different then. Um, you know, TV's. You know, TV was, I mean, it was a sitcom, which I wasn't interested in doing. Yeah. Uh, or it was a procedural, usually, you know, like an hour long, you know, which, which can start like you're out. you're a lo- young lawyer with a danger streak. 
Yes, exactly. And and like can't settle down. Ben's ex-wife, Jennifer Garner. Okay, so she was on one alias. You know, it starts out, everyone's like, this is really cool. And she she used to make me laugh because she'd go by the seventh season or whatever. It's like there's aliens coming down. There's, you know, they're just <laughs> it just gets progressively more absurd, you know, and and you're pregnant with the alien's baby and it's give me back my baby. And it's <laughs> right. just, you know. And everyone kind of knows it's like we're just running it into the ground. You know, there are still people watching and uh and uh Clooney, and so, uh, Clooney yeah. played it the best way, I think, out of anyone. But he, he did that ER me, and he got out as fast he, as possible. When he which is five years. Yeah. yeah. And and they were begging him to renegotiate. And I think, you know, he was making like thirty, twenty-five or thirty grand a week, which is obviously a lot of money. But to put perspective on that, the show was so successful. I mean, people were making yeah. hundreds of millions. Like the, the the people who created that show. I mean, forget it, it was just this juggernaut. It was it was everybody in America. There were four channels and everybody was watching ER. And George's last episode you know, I think Anthony Edwards was making a million dollars a week and they had their last scene together and they'd started out together. But Anthony was like, you know, I'm going to stand yeah. on ER. I'm doing it. And they paid him what he was worth. Right. And, and they would say, George, just renegotiate. You're going to make so much money. He'd go, no, I want, I want to be, I want to make movies. You yeah. Know? And, and that's what it was worth to him. So he, he never complained about it. He just did his job and he played out his contract and, and did what he wanted to do. What was your first big break? It's tough. It's depend. It depends on how you define. Because there's there's so many of them that you know. I mean, because I just felt like school ties put you on the map at least for me. I'm like, who's well, that guy? Man, is he evil? Yeah, yeah. I can't I believe mean, I was treating Brandon Fraser. This is asshole. totally uncalled for. Yeah. No, he's a horrible character. It's he's true. really one of the really, worst characters of all time. Yeah, really one of the worst that I ever got to play. Anti semite all star. Yeah, no, but not an all-star, like a-, a, a Or an anti-all-star, yeah. 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 Yeah, that guy was not a nice guy. No, not a nice guy. But it was gonna, he but, made it clear it was going to turn out well for him. No, he knew it. He yeah, knew the deck was totally stacked. It's like, going to be the embodiment fun. of like like pure white privilege. Yeah. You know? It actually is a really good movie that holds up from a cable rewatch. I hope so. I haven't seen it in a really long yeah, time. Yeah, it's solid. But that was a huge break for me. And it was a big break because- Stanley Jaffe, who was originally directing it, and Sherry Lansing were producing. Now, they had done- they had done Kramer versus Kramer. They yeah. Had, they'd also quite famously done Taps. And so they Another were- Another one of those young ensemble right. movies. So they were known as people who really had the eye to, and so to kind of be cast um, by them, because Stanley was originally the director of the movie, um, was a, kind of a signal effect. You know, people went, oh, these are young, act- these are serious young actors, I guess. Um, and Ben and I both got put in that movie. So it was a, it was a, that was a big, that was a big break. But then I went back to college and the phone didn't ring and, 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 you know, I mean, I'd subsequently learn a lot about marketing and how to market and they marketed it the way they should have, which was around Brendan because he was the star and he went off and did Encino Man all after. It was like, okay, this guy's got another movie. He's the star of the movie. We got to blow him up. And then Chris O'Donnell got Scent of a Woman. And you auditioned for that one, right? Everyone auditioned yeah. for that one. Yeah, everyone auditioned. It's a great for that. part. It's a, it was it was the it was one of those parts. It was like, oh my god, opposite Al Pacino, and uh, and Chris went in and won it, and and so everyone knew that movie was going to be big, and so it was like the marketing kind of emphasis went to those guys, and I remember being really hurt by that, like yeah, like personally feeling like, well, but I'm but I. I 
you know, I'm nothing like this person that I'm playing in this movie. I'm really good in this movie. Like, why isn't, you know, and I just, you oh, know. So you think they actually, that they held that role against you a tiny bit? It's possible. I, no, no, no. I don't think it, the whole role got held against me. I think, I think it was just, I wasn't talked, I wasn't talked about, like those guys were talked about. Like, I remember my brother going, dude, I saw this thing, man. And it was like, you know, they were talking about the two actors who are really going to come off of this movie. And they said, it's Brendan and Chris. And it was because they had work lined up and yeah. I was back in school and I didn't have any other job, but, but I remember feeling like, well, and then that, you know, at any rate that, you know, so, but, but it was still a huge break. The idea that I'd been cast in a feature. Some film. say it's the best naked shower fight scene ever. It's up there, dude. It's up there. <laughs> it's it's, filming that for five days. <laughs> yeah. 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 My God. My God, there's, I think there's probably a lot that was cut out of that too. I mean, Jesus. it was just, yeah. So you knew Affleck, but you knew Affleck before that movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we grew buddies. up, yeah, we grew up, you know, I mean, he, he's up the street now and he's still a lot further away than he was 30 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. we were like, we're two tiny blocks away. So you I mean, both get that movie. And now are you auditioning against each other for parts? Is it like competitive? How does that work? I mean, uh, technically, I guess, but but it was you know we were roommates, so it was like I hope one of us gets it, right? <laughs> because you know there was you know there's a like when I, I got Geronimo that movie with Walter Hill that that I mean that paid our rent for a long time. He got this show Against the Grain, which was actually based on Friday Night Lights. Really? So yeah, so it was the first iteration of. <laughs> I think this a is show. on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it was it was a Friday night like on one of the major networks which is their kind of family night of yeah. programming, right? Because that's who's home watching TV. And so it's, it was a real family. It was real all shucks, like, you know, little Davies, you know, it was like, it was one of those real kind of family shows. It lasted like eight episodes, but, um, but it, but it paid our rent. That Where are you living? We were in Eagle Rock at that point. Cause Ben Eagle was, a, Rock. He was oh, you Occidental. were way ahead of the curve. We were, yeah, a little too far ahead of the curve. We were, <laughs> I mean, that was, I mean, if you have an audition in Santa Monica on a Friday and you live in Eagle Rock, then fuck, man. I mean, it was- It's an like, hour and a half, get up. Oh, it's more than that. I mean, it's every Jesus. bit of two hours, of, like each way. You and Affleck, is it, is it, <clears throat> what's the apartment? How big is it? Eagle Rock. Oh, there were so many. Of, oh, Eagle Rock was- Like one bedroom? Well, the first one, yeah, he was in college. He was at Occidental. So, yeah, the first one was was pretty shitty. And then, uh, and then, what did I do? I got Geronimo, and then we got this place. <laughs> so we had a little money, and this place, we called it the castle. It was just kind of weird, dilapidated <laughs> kind of architectural mistake. Um, and it was me and Ben, and Casey had just graduated high school, and he and his other and a friend of his uh, moved out to do a gap year, and and Casey was going to audition, and so they lived. They, so it was four of us living in this, in this, in this kind of weird place in Eagle Rock. And then Ben at that point had already dropped out of school, so it was like, why are we living in Eagle Rock? Yeah. Um, but anyway. And then you ended up in LA. Uh, and you're in the circuit. Then we ended up. No. Then we. Yeah. Then we went. Then we. The next, instead of re-upping our lease there, we I got a place with another high school friend in West Hollywood. Ben got engaged to this girl and moved in with her. And so it was that moment where we're like, dude, we're going to sign this lease. Like, And he's like, no, I'm getting married. And we're like, you don't seem too excited about it. You know? 
really? And he was like, yeah, no, no, I'm getting, we're happy. It's going to be great. We're happy. And I'm like, okay. He was like 22. You're thinking intervention? Well, no, I mean, it's not your, you know what I mean? It's like, what do you say? You know, he, what are you going to say? You go like, well, the problem is, are you sure? Like, that's what, are you sure? Cause, cause seriously we're signing a lease. Yeah. Like we need a place to live and we got to get it. We're getting a two bedroom or a three bedroom. So you tell us, are we getting a two bedroom or a three bedroom? He's like, get a two bedroom. We're like, okay. So me and our friend Soren, who we grew up with, we, Soren and I got this two bedroom on Curson off of Melrose. Yeah. And, uh, and about two months later, Ben showed up with all his shit. <laughs> and we had the only, you know, those little, you know, places on that street, you know, they're great if two people are living there. Cause you know, you got a, a little front room, a little living area and then the kitchen and then bedroom, bedroom. Right. So Ben showed up there, you know, Ben's a big guy. Like there's no, there's nowhere to put him. Right. Yeah. And he had all his stuff. So now all his stuff took up our living room and he was trying to sleep on this couch. Like we had this couch, this one of those black pleather couches from Ikea that like, you know, that if, that if you, if you're one degree warm, like you just stick to it. And like, <laughs> it's like, and Ben ended up um, on that couch, which, which Ben's six, four, the couch was probably five, nine. Oh man. So we go in in the morning and his legs would be hanging off the end. And, and that was, I think one of the reasons we, because we were already writing Goodwill Hunting, but we we finished it in that bungalow kind of apartment in in West Hollywood because we were like, this is untenable. Yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna work like we have nothing to do. We don't have jobs. We have enough money that we're our rent is covered, but we're not gonna make it through the lease. Like, let's. So we probably were writing, you know, twelve hours, sixteen hours a day, and and we had nothing else going on. And so. Goodwill Hunting, the original movie, had this whole second act where he becomes like. Uh, Let's see, in the CIA? Yeah, it was it the FBI. It was, well, one of our favorite movies all time was Midnight Run. Yeah. Uh, so it, it had, it was, it was very much written by two, but like, you know, I was 22 and Ben was 20 when we started that. And we sold, we sold that version of it. And I was 24 and Ben was 22. So it was like a movie, an homage to Midnight Run written by these guys from Boston and it was kind of a hot mess. Yeah. Um, but there were some scenes in it that were really good. And it was Castle Rock who bought it. And, and, and Rob Reiner, I'll never forget Rob Reiner in a meeting, you know, basically gave us permission to remove all of that high concept stuff. And it was the high concept stuff that kind of sold it because people were like, oh, I can see how this movie will make money. Yeah. And Rob was like, we don't believe that here. Like, I, there's something else here. If you guys just want to explore these relationships, you know, um, write the movie that you want to write. And we were like, oh, okay, well, we'll write this then. And uh, and you guys were always okay with you being the lead and him being the sidekick? Yeah, I mean, I'd started it in college in a playwriting class. And so it was all established by the time, you know, that was my, fi- my final paper was this. I was supposed to write a one-act play. Yeah. And it was a... It was. I, instead, I handed in the first act of a movie, and I said to the professor, "I think I failed your class because this is not what you asked for, but this is what came out, and I, and I really like it." And he gave me an A in the class, and he wow. said, "Yeah, it was really cool because I didn't get a lot of straight A's at Harvard, you know." And and, <laughs> and he went, you know, no, he said, "Whatever, wherever this goes, he goes, I don't know where it's going, but stay with it." Yeah, and he was. It was really great because I didn't think of myself as a writer; I was an actor, and 
And neither did Ben, for that matter. And so that was in late January. And then in uh, March, I came out here for, uh, for spring break to audition for stuff and stayed on Ben's couch and uh, showed it to him. Was like, hey, I wrote this thing. and I don't know what the fuck to do with it. And, and Ben read it and goes, I don't know what to do with it either, but we should do it together. And I was like, sold, I'm in. And so that was really the, I, I trusted no one in my life more than him. Yeah. You know, I, and we were just, you know, as he was as close a friend as I'd ever had in my life or ever could imagine having, having, and, and I respected him and I, and I respected his taste. I mean, we, our tastes kind of formed together, you know what I mean? And that those kind of teenage years where you're kind of spreading your wings and gaining your own independence and, and, you know, we did that together. Right. And, and so, um, I know he would read a situation the same way I would. You know what I mean? We were just yeah. very uh, compatible in that way. And uh, well, the movie then goes into developmental hell. Mm-hmm. For like, I mean, it, almost two years. Yeah, but to be fair, it 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 got a lot out of that process. There was a point at the end where it stagnated with Castle Rock. Yeah, but leading up to that point, the movie vastly improved. Because they allowed us to do, you know, to make, to make the movie that we wanted to make, to make it smaller. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't have existed the way it did. At what, po- at what point was it like, we're only doing this movie if we're in it, where you hit that kind from of the beginning. game of chicken? Yeah. Wasn't from- there when the new studio came in, didn't they tell you like, all right, we'll buy it, but. Everyone, really everyone not. said they'd buy it without us. Everyone said, you will get so much more money if you just let us do this with Brad and Leo. Yeah. You know, and we were, we were like, no. And, and they would all say there's no precedent for that. And then we would always say Sylvester Stallone. I was going to, those are the only two examples I can think of though. Well, I think Chad, Chaz Palminteri did it with the Bronx tale to a certain degree. Oh, but, that's a but, good one. Yeah. But he had De Niro, I mean, De Niro had seen him do the one act play. And so I'm sure <clears throat> Bob was running interference for him, just saying like, no, he's playing that part. Period. You know what I mean? And, and, um, but Stallone did it on his own. Stallone just refused. And he, he, he was flat broke with like a kid on the way. And yeah, they wanted Ryan O'Neill to do it, I guess. And, and yeah. he, he, they offered him like an extra 30 grand or something. And he just said no. But you had gotten a couple other movies even before this movie got going, right? When it, yeah. you, before you started filming, you, you lost all the weight for Courage Under Fire. Yeah. That seemed kind of crazy in retrospect. Well, how many, how many pounds did you get down to? I got down to 139. Which was like legitimately unhealthy. Yeah. Oh yeah. For me. Yeah. I mean, I'm one, I'm in shape now at 183. 139 is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was did they, horrible. They didn't tell you to do that, right? You just no, did it. I just did it. Cause I, the guy was supposed to be a recovering heroin addict and, or not recovering actually. He was supposed to be a heroin addict. And, uh, and, um, and he was supposed to, and, and, and there was this whole thing in that movie where there was flashbacks and I wanted to just make a strong physical delineation between what he looked like now and what he looked like in the flashbacks that, that something had happened, right? There's this incident that the whole movie's about, like what really yeah. happened. And it's kind of got this. It's actually a good movie. I, th- yeah, I, I think, think so. I haven't seen it in yeah. a long time, but, but it was supposed to have this kind of Rashomon quality where you have different characters telling the same story and you see different versions of this story and you're like, wow, what really happened? But when it got to me, I wanted people to go like, something is really fucked up. Something yeah. fucked this guy up. And, and, 
there. And so I had the idea to lose a bunch of weight. And uh, now they would just CGI you. Ah, uh, God. Well, they would have to because I would never do that again. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was so existentially, you know. It seems like every A-list actor has to do that once where they just either lose a ton of weight or gain a ton of weight. Maybe. For a row. Maybe. It's like you just I, almost have, it's like a rite of passage. Yeah. I mean, I'd do the CGI now. <laughs> <laughs> so but, that happened, but I was living in Charlestown when you guys actually got greenlit to make Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. And I remember the improper Bostonian that had you guys on the cover. Uh-huh. And it was in this coffee shop that I always went to. And it was like, look at these young young Boston kids making good. They're making their own movie. And I remember flipping through it and being like, oh, oh, the guy from School Ties. Yeah, right, right, oh, right. The, it, yeah and, we had worked. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, you have, yeah, that's a pretty deep knowledge then. Because most people, like, when Goodwill Hunting came out, people were like, oh, you're an overnight success. No. And we were like. No, you'd been in a bunch of stuff. I was in the union when I was 16. Like, I'm not, you know. And but, Dazed and Confused, Affleck had been in some stuff too, but Dazed and Confused, like, O'Bannon was like a real that was breakout a, character. People from knew movie. him from that. And, yeah. then, and, then he, and then Kevin Smith. Like, yes. Had, and Kevin Smith was a huge part of getting us to Miramax. And Ch- was Chasing Amy, that was before, that was before Good Morning, That right? was before. So Ben was like- That was like an the, intense movie. Yeah, yeah. And Ben was like the the kind of indie darling. Yeah. And then he kind of flipped from the indie darling to Goodwill Hunting came out, and then he was in Armageddon. And everyone's right. like, oh, he's a, he's a big popcorn movie star. Yeah. I remember reading, a, reading, I'll never forget reading that thing, and for some reason it just stuck with me. Like, oh, that- that looks interesting, but never thinking it would be what it became. Right. And then you had like this whole, it was in the height of the whole um, people like leaking stuff, trying to undermine the Oscar campaigns of other movies yeah. and stuff. Yeah. You had to deal with this whole thing about you didn't really write the movie. Yeah. That which was, was ridiculous. Well, that was the thing. We were like, but we have like the hard drive. Like we have, we, we wrote, not years. only did we write the movie, we wrote a thousand fucking drafts of this right. thing. You know what I mean? Like that everybody's read, but it wasn't, that was a kind of a kind of a interesting wake up to the kind of the politics of award campaigns, which have only gotten more insane. But but that that somebody would put that out there and it wasn't meant to be a, a, a story that anybody believed. It was meant to be a story that came out timed perfectly. So at the moment somebody was writing in a name on their ballot, they'd go, huh, maybe I shouldn't write that. Maybe I'll write the yeah. other one. And that's all. It's just, I just want you to just change what, don't write Goodwill Hunting, write this movie instead. And that's all it was. And, and I remember actually Ted Talley, who's a great writer, he wrote Silence of the Lambs. And Ted Talley was one of the people who said, they said, wrote, somebody said, wrote the movie. And I subsequently worked with him on All the Pretty Horses years later, but I did never met him. And he did an interview. He called Variety and said, um, you know, it's being reported that that I actually wrote this movie and gave it to these guys. And he goes, I just want to say for the record that I wish I wrote this movie. And he and he just did this wow. really, you know, and it just, he didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? It was very, just, I remember feeling like, wow, that's, he's a big heavy hitter in this business. And he just really did us a solid and kind of put that one to bed. But And then you had, you got the Rainmaker before Goodwill Hunting, right? That's what got it green lit. Yeah. So- I was so, so we had been at Miramax in development for a year. Yeah. And, uh, and Gus had fallen out of negotiations because he wanted final cut and Harvey wouldn't give him final cut. And uh, then I got the, I'm trying to think the deal fell apart and then they were, Harvey was trying to find other directors and 
There was a great Sidney Lumet story because Sidney Lumet, I think, was 72 at the time. Oh, wow. Read the script. One of the greats. Yeah, yeah. And so when when the when the Gus thing was ended, uh they they said, How about Sidney Lumet? And we said, Are you kidding me? Like we The Verdict? Yeah, and of course. And we'd read his we'd read his book, obviously, making movies and um and Sidney read the script and <laughs> The, the the word that came back was once he found out he couldn't have Final Cut, he said, I love this movie and I'd like to direct it. And he said to Harvey Weinstein, he said, with all due respect, I wouldn't direct this movie with your dick without Final Cut. And we that was like, it. And that was it. That was just over. We were like, that's what Sidney Lumet said to Harvey <laughs> Like, that's amazing. So then I got The Rainmaker on a totally... Uh, you know, separate track. Um, cause Ben and I still had these. Is that another movies. one of those things you're competing against the 10 other guys you've been well, competing against constantly? Not only that, that one was more interesting because, because, um, that was the first time I met Edward Norton. Yeah. So, so Edward, so primal fear was a movie that came around and was this unbelievable role. We were like, it was like scent of a woman. We we're like, yeah. this is going to blow up an actor. I, I remember I hired a dialect coach that I couldn't even afford to get to prep for that audition. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was a big one. It was like, this is a, this is, you know, it's, you're done if you get this. And, um, and it was actually one of the things that helped me understand. And Ben and I had a real come to Jesus meeting about it. I remember because when we both got close and didn't get it, um, and, and this guy named Edward Norton got it. And, and, uh, and, that was when we realized what are the odds, right? That a movie with a role that's great for one of us is going to make it all the way through the ranks of established actors who are all going to have to pass on it. And then it's going to get thrown out into the kind of, into the, into the open here with, into this jungle with all of us. And the thousand of us are going to go for it. Like, what are the odds that you're actually going to get one of these parts that's going to change your life? And we were like, fuck this. We got to write this thing. We have to write it. Yeah. You know, because it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen if you wait for it. And yeah, there are the people who do it and it happened, but it's like, if that's your strategy, it, it's not, you know what I mean? It's such a Hail Mary. So you had like School Ties, Brandon Frazier, Senate Woman, Chris O'Donnell, um, Primal Field, Ed Norton. Uh, uh, so those uh, are three parts in six years. Yeah, that transformed somebody. Yeah, career. I mean, there was a, there were other ones that came along, like Powder. People thought were going to be it was going to be a big. I remember that you know I got close on that one. I I can't remember. There were a bunch of movies. I was, you know, it was the same group of people around all, a lot of them, um, and uh, and so at any rate, so when the Rainmaker came along, the Rainmaker was interesting because I got a phone call. I'd been tracking it and tracking it because I knew Coppola was doing it, and that was obviously you mm. know my guy, the Godfather. And yeah. you know, it's like all of these actors and he was legendary for how he worked with actors. And, uh, Patrick called me and he said, okay. Cause we couldn't get an answer from them. We couldn't get an answer about where I should go and when, and Patrick finally called and said, listen, he's screen testing people in Memphis. You're not going to get it. He said, I, he said, I put your chances at 5%. Um, Edward Norton's going down there. Uh-oh. And, and I'm like, fuck. Yeah, and, and, you know, because Edward, not only, Edward's not only done Primal Fear at that point, he's done Milos Forman's movie, right? Yeah. The People versus Larry Flynn and everyone's saying he's fucking amazing in it, right? So he goes, but there are three actresses that they're, that they're reading and they only have two actors, Edward being one of them. Patrick's like, it's a Hail Mary. 
and I'm, he's like, will you go get, will you go to Logan airport right now? And I was like, yeah. And so I flew to Memphis and that next day screen tested for Coppola. And that night, Edward and I went out and, um, and hung out, you know, we had like a night on Beale street together. Where really? We yeah. And, uh, and cause I just, you know, I mean, he was a guy, I mean, he's my age, incredible actor, like this guy that I just really admired. And, and I remember that night just saying to him like, well, I mean, it's really fucking cool meeting you, man. Like, like yeah. have fun making the movie. Like I really thought that, you know, it, it's done. And then over the next, it took like two like agonizing weeks where they went back and forth between us. Like, it's looking good. It's not looking good. It's looking good. And it just, and then I got the, I got the call that I got it. And then that was the most. How much money was that one? How much money? Yeah. I know you remember. Did I make $600,000? Which was. <laughs> I would bet, I bet if we went through your IMDb, you could remember the price of most of them. The early ones, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like, like that one. Cause the most. 600,000 is a lot. It's for a fortune. It's Jesus. a fortune. But, but, but I was, I was the lead of the movie. Yeah. It was, it was like a, it was like a hundred and something day shoot. I mean, this was a long, long, long movie. In Memphis? But in Memphis. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then San Francisco at the end, we did the stage stuff up in San Francisco, but the, the, the most I'd ever been paid for, I mean, I'd been paid a hundred grand for, uh, Courage Under Fire. Yeah. And, uh, Goodwill Hunting had not been made, but Ben and I had sold the script for 600 grand, which we split. Nice. And then I had a deal for Goodwill Hunting if it went that I'd get 350 grand. Um, did but, you guys get points with that movie or no? <laughs> no. 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 no but, but you made up for it later. Yes. Yeah. It it completely well, Robin is actually who did, you know, Robin made this incredible deal where he where he um if the movie made over sixty million dollars, he started to get some kind of escalating participation. And it was like he read it and he's like, he just got it. Yeah. And and everyone was like, oh, this is cool. We're getting Robin Williams cheap because he's he was the biggest movie star in the world. And I think he got $20 million a movie. And I think they paid him like five, right? And so they were like, well, great. Well, he, we're, we're, we're winning here. And then it just turned out Robin just- He had the last laugh. <laughs> Robin crushed him. <laughs> so we never begrudged him that because it was that, that also, you know, gets a movie made. So you finished Rainmaker and then you knew you were doing Good Will Hunting right after that. Yes, because when I got the part, I sent a fax to Miramax, and I said, I, I, I think I said, I am the Rainmaker. Yeah. And Harvey called him. What the fuck does that mean? He <laughs> thought he was going to get sued. Did he have some <laughs> quote like, wait a second, those things make yeah. a shitload of money or something no, like he, that? No, he no, he, no, he, no, his quote was the Grisham movie. <laughs> and I said, the Coppola movie. Yeah. And he goes, all those Grisham movies make $100 million. Yeah. And so he instantly calculated that the faster he could get goodwill hunting into this onto the screen he could piggyback off of what was potentially a really big movie it ended up not being um a bit it, i don't remember what the rainmaker made but it didn't make a hundred million dollars but it was good i mean i remember what's I remember funny though good. is over and over again hollywood tries to go for these proven whatever faces and the ones that take off so often are the ones like what happened with you and ben and goodwill hunting like people love discovering new stars every once in a while, but Hollywood never seems to realize that. Like it's okay to give somebody their biggest break. Sure. I mean, yeah. It certainly worked out it, for you guys because yeah. you guys became the marketing campaign for the movie. 
Yes. It's like, oh man, yes. all these guys, they tore it away. And yeah. it was such a good Cinderella story. It became part of the reason to root for that movie. It was also the, a very good movie. There was helps. a great quote of one of the marketing people. We had a meeting at Miramax before the movie came out and this guy came in and he goes, I can't, this story is so unbelievable about the backstory of this movie. It's like the most unbelievable thing. And there's this pause and he goes, and it's all true. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking like, oh, okay. So normally you don't normally have the benefit of it all. Right. True, you have to like fudge like, yes, some it is of it. all true. So enjoy that. Did you know um, it was going to hit like it did? No, no. I mean, I, Ben and I always said we were making a, we say if it's just a videotape on our mantle, like we want to like it. We want, we want to like it. And that was the only kind of yardstick by which we'd measure success or failure because we assumed that no, that it wouldn't be a big hit. You know, we were, you know, if it was, if it was bottle rocket or if it was, you know what I mean? If it was a movie that we loved, but like didn't make a hundred million dollars, that'd be fine with us. Um, it was pretty we tough for that to, to happen with Robin Williams being in it. Well, that it changed everything. Yeah, yeah, that changed everything. And that part had been, you know, we called that our Harvey Keitel part because, yeah. because of Reservoir Dogs. And we had heard that Reservoir Dogs got made because Harvey Keitel said yes. And, and that got the funding. So we said, we need a Harvey Keitel part. So we wrote specifically a role that was really, it could have gone anywhere from, you know, from a Harvey Keitel or a De Niro or an Ed Harris or a, you know, or, or, or a huge massive star like Robin or Tom Hanks or somebody like that. Um, it could have gone Meryl Streep, you know what I mean? We could have with some rewrites and then it becomes more of a, mo a son-mother relationship. Yeah. It could have gone Morgan Freeman. You make Morgan from Roxbury and he's from, and then you, and then you bring in kind of elements of racial tension around Boston, you know, that both of them would have been That wouldn't in. have been hard to pull in right, with yeah. the Will Hunting character. Yeah. Right, right. A guy from Southie, right? Yeah. At that time, right. So, um, so it was made to be a part, we, to, to, to be kind of as flexible as possible because we were just trying to get it made. Um, so, there, so that was a kind of a bit of calculation, I guess. But what once was, Robin took it, Robin, Robin, you know. What was it like to be on the set on him? Because he was so freaking famous in the mid-90s. Yeah, that and, was our first big exposure. I mean, <clears throat> I had maybe two days of working with Denzel uh, on Courage Under Fire. Oh, yeah. and But we were on like a military base, I think. And and so it was pretty contained. And I'd shot with Meg Ryan out in um, the desert, but we were way out in El Paso. And, and uh, that was, um, so there wasn't a lot of that craziness. But with Robin in Boston, yeah, it was nuts. I mean, it was, it was people hanging out the windows and a lot of people would scream Mork when he walked by. I mean, it was only 15, 16 years earlier. That I guess so. Sense. I mean, yeah. to us, it seemed like so long ago. And his body of work in between had been so vast and kind of, if you think of the movies that that guy had done. Yeah. From, you know, The Fisher King to Good Morning Vietnam to Dead Poets to just on and on and on. Um, and then all the Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, you know, all of those massive... Uh, Jumanji, all that stuff. So, uh, so to be I, calling I actually, him Mork seems a little. That's classic Boston. That Boston, yeah. Boston I know, logo. I know who you are. Yeah, hey, I know you, fucking Mork. <laughs> Don't try to be something you're not. Who are you? You think you're better than us, Mork? Yeah, you think you're better than me? Come on, Mork, stop it. That was the best thing about the Will Hunter character for me. I've spent so much time in Massachusetts. Like the perfect, you think you're better than me, kind of edge, right? 
There just hadn't been a character like that. Or Chucky or any of those guys. Oh, Chucky, like, yeah. What was the Cole Hauser's character name? Bill. Billy. Bill, like, it's a good engine. It's yeah, a good, it's like, good like engine, that guy, yeah. I knew those guys. Well, Cole uh, did this incredible thing while we were making the movie. Like, uh, he gave away almost all of his lines to Casey. Really? Um, yeah, he goes, look, guys, I see that, because we'd written it for him. And he goes, I, and we'd written the other part for Casey, obviously. So he goes, I see that you guys like are trying to pad the part out to make me want to do it. He goes, but I want to do it because I want to do your movie with you guys. And he goes, and in each, every one of these groups, there's always one guy who's quiet. And yeah, and who's, he was and, right. Yeah. And he's right. And who's serious. Like there's shots and you look at him, you go like, I do not want to fuck with that guy at all. Like he's, um, he's the quiet Guy who is also the first guy you want if anything goes if, down. If shit goes down, yeah, exactly. He's the guy. And 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 so he did, so he wrote him his own lines. He, he just gave them to Casey. Because there's always a loudmouth in the group too. Right, right, yeah. right. Is there ad-libbing or had you done this stuff so much at that point? There was no, no Casey, there's, there was, you know. Because he ad-libbed like the baseball glove scene and some other stuff. The baseball glove was just in the house where we were, and he came down with the glove. And that's what, I'm laughing in that scene. I'm not even supposed to. I'm not even supposed to be laughing. It's like, you know, um, I just couldn't help it. He was so funny, and he also like the first day of shooting, um, we were shooting the scene where he was asking for his line was, "Can I get my double burger?" and and there was this old show. Remember when we were kids? Uh, it was called uh, was it? Uh, it was that game show, Big Bucks, No Whammies. Oh, yeah. Uh, press, press Your, your luck. luck. Yeah. Press Your Luck. So we always watch Press Your Luck. Like, if you were homesick, you were like, watch Press Your Luck. And Ben and I really early on started talking about acting. You know, you, you, they say you make choices, right? You make a choice. You, t- you know, yeah, that's a bold choice or whatever. We talk about it in terms of going into the whammy business. Like, yeah. if you were, you know, the, the point of Press Your Luck is, you know, you're, you're trying to press the button and you don't want a whammy. If you get a whammy, then the thing takes all your money away. Yeah. But if not, you can make a few thousand bucks or whatever. And, uh, but we always talked in terms of how much are you risking? Like, what are you, you know, are you just playing it straight down the middle or are you going to go into the whammy business a little bit and, 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 you know, I don't know, drop a bunch of weight for courage or do, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, whatever, any, any little kind of moves we'd made career wise. Chasing Amy was a Chasing risky. Amy was yeah. going into the whammy business, yeah. right? So we talked about that. And uh and the first take on Casey, uh, he's sitting in the back seat and he literally goes, Chuck, can I get my double burger? <laughs> and Ben and I turn around and he's like, What the fuck? <laughs> like, this is the thing we wrote, like, and and he just looks at us and goes, Sorry guys, I'm going deep into the whammy business. <laughs> And there's nothing you can do. You're like, all right, yeah. he's going. And he's brilliant in the movie. And and uh, and it really works like that. He, he brings something that no other character is doing. And it, it's like the right color for that. So the movie takes off. Yeah. You get Rounders. Yeah. Rounders is your next movie. You've already decided to do Rounders before Goodwill Hunting even came out or did it already come out? No, it hadn't come out. It was, uh, we started shooting Rounders in December of uh, 1997. And so round uh, Goodwill Hunting came out, I think it was December 11th, 97, and it opened in LA and New York. And then, and then it opened nationwide in January. So the first month of that movie, 
Goodwill Hunting was kind of coming out to really good reviews. And I was doing like talk shows and, and interviews while I was do, starting to shoot rounders, like to promote it, you know. Um, and, just, that, and then it got going. And then it got going, yeah. Why, what, why rounders? What was it about the script? What jumped out at you? Well, so when Harvey bought Goodwill Hunting from Castle Rock, he got Ben and I both in these option deals that, um, you know, he had a lot of leverage on us. He could have asked for 10 options. I think he asked for three each, which basically meant I preset your price for three movies. Yeah. Right? And I remember saying to Patrick and, and Ben at the time, like, fuck, if, if, because Miramax was making the best stuff back then. And it was like, it was like yeah. all the Quentin stuff and Anthony Minghella. And I was like, they want to preset my price to whatever they want. I'll take it. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, we wanted to work. Yeah. Um, and then when Goodwill Hunting blew up and it looked like it was going to blow up, it was like, well, you, it's like a rookie contract. You just try to, you get through it and so that you can go out onto the, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, get, get more money to do the same thing. You're like Jason Tatum on the Celtics. Right. You know, you know, the big nine right. figure contracts coming down the road. Exactly. Just try to win some games. Not to compare myself to the great Jason Tatum. I, but, I didn't mean to, but, uh, I didn't mean to besmirch his great name. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> um, but it felt, but it was like, oh my God, we're, you know, like we're taking off and, and, and the three movies, I was just thinking about this before you got here, because the three movies that I did um, to fulfill that those obligations were Rounders, Dogma, and The Talented Mr. Ripley. So, wow. yeah, so Harvey had three good scripts. So I just, I lined them right up and I did them and knocked them out. And, and then I never worked for Miramax again, um, which is weird because I'm one of the people who's really connected to that time. And- I mean, I guess I worked for them him a lot in that time, but uh, you but that got was dragged it. into the Harvey stuff, and it was just weird. It was like, yeah, you worked for the guy. It's I, I don't even know what your role is, but like, I'm not going to ask you about it. And it's not like I'm wussing out because oh, I got no, Damon. no. It's like, I, I just I, don't know what you're supposed to do in that situation. I, I don't know. I think a lot of people said, you know, well, you knew or everyone knew, and I always just say, but knew what? Like, I don't. I've worked for. I don't know how many studio heads at this yeah. point. I have no idea what any of them do when they go home. I don't hang out with Why them. Why would you know? I wouldn't. Like, I, I, if they were my friends, if I was like rolling around with them and like you, then, then. But you're going to Vegas with them on the weekends and shit like right. that. Right. Like, yeah. I never hung out with any of these people. Like, they're, they're my bosses, right? Like, yeah. they give, they say yes or no to movies that I want to do. And, um, and we, and so we're connected for that six months and then we take a picture at the premiere and then, you know, they go off and make other movies and I go off and make other movies. So, but I just feel like, like, they, you know, when all that stuff was coming out, I think there was so much that was systemic about it that I think that's what people went, well, fuck, everybody around him must have known everything. And, yeah. And that's just not true. That's, yeah. that's not what happened. And then I started to think about like how connected I was to him. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, I haven't worked for him since 99. Like, I, don't, yeah, I didn't realize you only did the three and then you were I done. didn't either. By I the way, uh, that's a fantastic quartet. It's great. No, he get to, to his credit, you know, cause option deals, people normally get, they can get stuck. You can get stuck. They can, yeah. you can get forced to do something. Right. Yeah. I got 
for you know to come out of there with Goodwill Hunting and Rounders and Dogma and Ripley. It was great, and the, and and uh, and all the Pretty Horses was a co-production with Sony, but it wasn't part of my deal. Uh, and uh, I think, and this then is- in 03, I shot the Brothers Grimm for Dimension, who was which, which is Bob Harvey's brother. I think one of the best offenses of of uh, your career, of like if you're an athlete, people are making the cases for you, like with Brady. Right. <laughs> people talk about Rodgers as the GOAT. I'm like, well, Brady has five Super Bowl rings right. and threw for 505 yards in the last Super Bowl, and Rodgers has one ring. If we argued about actors that way, <laughs> the, the Goodwill Hunting, Rounders, Ripley, those three characters are so different. It's good. It's a good feather in your cap. Thanks, Ripley's man. fucking creepy. That movie's on all the time. Yeah, I it's haven't on the seen cable. That in a long time. It's I, it's it's really weird and un, and disorienting and unsettling. Anthony was really really locked in and really knew what he wanted to do. I remember loving it when it came out and and it didn't really get the due that it deserved. It didn't get nominated it for does best now. picture. No, it's I, it's, I think I, it's belatedly gotten it. I, I think I hope so because it was really well done. And um, but like I remember thinking, well, if I wait ten years. Because you see the movies right when you make them, but it's kind of impossible to judge them. And I remember thinking, if I wait 10 years, then I can watch. And then 10 years passed, and I was like, that's maybe 20 years. And now it's like 20 years has passed on all these things, and I still have to sit down and watch them because I feel like I could be more objective. It's just, it's harder to watch myself young, actually, than it is to, you know, watch rough cuts of shit I'm working on now. I had Denzel was on the pod two months ago, and he just doesn't go backwards at all. He just goes to the next job. He doesn't. I understand think that. About his I, 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 yeah. I mean, and and that's that might be where I end up because I haven't been able to go backwards yet either. And and, um, you know, we did a. <clears throat> they had one of these, you know, uh, twenty year things, but it was a. The New York Times does these readings of screenplays, but they cast them with with different actors. Yeah. And so Krasinski was. I had dinner with him last year when he goes, I'm, I'm directing the Goodwill hunting one. And he goes, would you ever do it? Would you do the reading? And I go, oh, yeah, when is it? And I, and I go, actually, I might be in New York. Then yeah, I'd do it. And then I called Ben and Ben was going to be in New York. And so as a surprise, we came out and we read our script and neither of us had read it, you know, literally since we, so the production draft was the last time you don't go back and you never yeah. revise it again. It was like, that was it. That was and we read from, and it was a really emotional thing. Like I didn't, had I realized it was way more special than like the Academy Award, anything. Like had I known it was gonna, it was just this thing. Krasinski was like, will you come do this? And I was like, sure. And it, for Ben and I both, I think it was a really like, when we got in there and we heard the energy of the crowd and people knew, it was like they knew these lines. It was like, holy fuck, you know this 20 years later. Like yeah. it really f- was special and uh and no that movie definitely has long legs because like we do we do this rewatchables podcast that where we basically deep dive these different movies we did midnight run ironically which is one of my favorite ones ever it was like one of the lowest listened to podcasts out of all the rewatchables. is that right oh my god goodwill hunting i think was the number one highest and we've done like i mean we've done probably 60 movies at this point but i think that's just become one of those it's like the definition of a rewatchable which is why we want to do this Rounders thing because Rounders was another one. that There was no sign at all that this was going to happen with Rounders. Not at all. In fact, it lost money. It, li- it was we, pulled from the theater in three weeks. We and- lost, yeah, it was. And I mean, I remember my whole life was changing, right? Yeah. In, in a really- As you're filming Rounders. Yeah. And, and 
in this really profound way too, where like, it's like, it's just your code gets rewritten for the matrix, right? So just your subjective experience changes. Yeah. The world is exactly the same, but it's totally different for you. And it's such a mind fuck. And I see why people go crazy and they, you know, people without a solid support really get fucked up. And cause it, it's a, it's a head trip. Well, cause it's, you're doing the same thing you're doing every day, but everybody around you is acting differently. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a very, it's just an odd and unrelenting experience. Um, but I remember the, the, the positive part of that was while your life is imploding, my career was exploding and I was getting to do this thing that I always wanted to do, which was work all the time. Yeah. And so when John Dahl showed up, I was, Cole Hauser was away doing a movie and I was house sitting for him. And I remember when John came and met me, we were over in Griffith Park at Cole's house. And, and I, I was like, cause Harvey was like, you want to do this movie? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, for directors, I was thinking, you know, John Dahl. And I was like, you mean Red Rock West and the last seduction? Like, fuck yeah, really? Will he do it? And Harvey's like, yeah, he'll do it. And so yeah. it's like, suddenly we got John Dahl and it's like, oh my God, I love this guy. And then I meet him and he's like, well, for this part of Worm, you know, I was thinking maybe, you know, Edward Norton. I'm like, Edward Norton? You think he'll do it? <laughs> he's like, yeah, he'll do it. And it was, he just kept naming these. It was like John Turturro. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? You, will, you know, and I couldn't believe that all these people wanted to. Malkovich. And then Malkovich, yeah, who was just like. Did you know anything about poker? No, no, no. I mean, I played in kind of the classic home game, like with my dad, where everyone, you bring chips and dip and you play yeah. these fucking stupid games, you know, like baseball. And like, you know, it's like, you know, there's 18 wild cards and. Right. Some guy wins a hundred dollars, somebody loses a hundred, you know, but nobody really gets hurt and you drink beer. And like, that was poker. And so part of the, you know, getting to know, you know, Brian and David and, you know, who end up being lifelong friends of mine and who, you yeah. know, but Brian was, and David were both very dialed into what was then this really cool underground scene. You know, it was, you had to go like, you got to go look up into the camera and get buzzed through a steel door. And, you know, it, it felt like, fuck, this is cool. Like, yeah, this, this is, is a know, world. This is a whole world. Yeah. yeah. This is subculture that I didn't know existed. And, um, you're kind of the poker profile, smart, competitive guy. Yeah. So, though now it's, it's poker like, is dangerous for us, but the game, the game is now like so far it's evolved. Like, I don't know how many, you know? But you guys started playing though, right? Didn't we did. We, we started playing. Got into but it. I got into it. Yeah. I mean, we got into it like, but not to the extent that some, like Toby Maguire is a fucking yeah. legit poker player. Like he's <laughs> really good. Uh, ben won the state title out here in California 14 years ago or something. He got really into it. But even since then, the game has really evolved. I mean, it's all deep, deep game theory now. And these kids coming up on the internet are watching they're playing 10 hands at once all day like they've seen you know they've seen every variation they've of seen every yeah. variation of everything and a lot of the times they're playing because they don't want to get their their play you know it's like it's like that great there's a great play in football last year where tony romo 
where the Patriots let a, let up a score at the end and Romo just goes, oh my God, that's so gross. He's just doing that to mess with the analytics because like it's yeah. a meaningless score and he never puts five people here in the box. He's like, he would never do that. You know, he goes, he's just doing that so that it looks like sometimes he does this and sometimes he does that. No, when it matters, he does this and only yeah. this and it didn't matter. And so he's just fucking with the other coaches right now. Um, and that's what these people playing poker now are just are playing a game within a game within a game within a game. And it's just so far beyond them. Like the math, like I was talking to Brian about it recently, like the math, you just have to be just lead pipe t- on the math. It's like, that's a no, no brainer. But the game theory beyond that is just, it's, 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 it's beyond my comprehension where the game's gone. They told a story that we have in the oral history about they were at playing poker with some guy who was a friend of yours and was t- talking about movies and they were like, we're doing this movie and they're like, no way. And he ends up calling you and Affleck and you guys showed up and played poker. And that's kind of the first time you all hung out. Yeah. It was at the you bike. That one? Yeah. Yeah. A friend of ours was at the bike and he called up and he goes, there are these dudes down here who said they wrote your next movie. And that was before, I mean, that was really early on in the whole thing. Like I, yeah, I don't think I'd met Dahl at that point. I think I'd, I think it was like, we're going to get John Dahl. And, I, and it was like, wait, the guys who wrote Rounders? I'm like, I'll be right there. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we went and went and hung out and I watched Brian play because I didn't play Hold'em. I didn't, you know. And then he gave me, I mean, I remember he gave me like the super system and he gave me, you know, kind of the, the all the books that were, that were kind of relevant at that time. And, but that year, I mean, to promote that movie, we, we, they bought Edward and I into the world series and, that was it, smart. Yeah. I actually remember knowing about that when it was happening. Like people writing news stories about it. Right, and stuff. right, right. And it was and it was 20 grand they were going to lose. And they got all those stories out of it. because, um, But it was 350 people. Yeah. And they announced that year. I remember, I, th- I believe it was 350. So it was 350 or 700, but whatever it was, it had doubled whatever the last year's entries had been. Right? And they were like, you know, and there was a big cheer that went up in the at Binion's because- Is it true you lost to Doyle Brunson and he knocked you out? Yeah, I had kings. He had aces. So that's a true story because that was on the internet. I never know. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. That's You lost to Doyle Brunson who's so famous he has a hand named after him. Yes, the 10 deuce. He knocked you out with two aces. He did, and uh, which was great because I'd been sitting there, I mean, playing like a donkey. I mean, I was just sitting there just- just Yeah. Not doing anything. Because all I was thinking was, I got to last as long as I can. I can't go out in the first session. I got to go to get to the piss break. And then I got to, you know, I, you know, I wonder if I just donk off all my chips. Like, can I make it to the second day? Yeah. Right. Because that would be a good story. And, you know, and then I, then I got Kings and, and there was a raise and a re-raise. I mean, in retrospect, I could have got away from him, but I also, I was, I had $6,500 in chips at that point, And I'm like, it's Doyle Brunson. This is going to be good either way. I think that's a good, yeah. I think it played out pretty well. No, it did. And I remember. It's like going against like Belichick or something. Yeah. You're just like, what the fuck? Nobody expects <laughs> me it. to win. I'm just going to, it's like Pete McNeely. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> <against Tyson. laughs> like I'm not going to sit in the corner. I'm going to come out and just throw haymakers and confuse the shit out of them. But I think this is the problem with these guys 20 years later. And this, because there's so many people in the World Series of Poker. And people want to have their story of going head to head against the pros. And I think it's hard for them to win now because they don't know what anybody has. They don't know what anybody has. And and people aren't playing with any discipline because they're, no. they're behaving differently because they want to say that they played with Bill Simmons, right? Yeah. So I got involved in a hand with him. So yeah, it's become really hard for, for them. Um, Did you think Rounders was going to do well? I never know if anything's going to do well. I mean, I, I, I liked it. Because you think about, this is one of the reasons we wanted to do oral history. It 
it was one of these slow burn movies that the nineties had that doesn't really happen as much anymore. You still see it sometimes like John wick, I think yeah, was an example yeah. of like, it came out, kind of came and went and then became right a thing. But like this happened over and over again, the nineties happened. Swingers dazed and confused. Uh, Rounders was another one. It came and went. It was the first Matt Damon post goodwill hunting movie and was gone in three weeks. And then it started showing up on cable. Yeah. And then, and then, well, and then poker, then poker started going. That really helped. I think, you know, when, when, uh, the, uh, world poker tour and, you know, you started to see people's whole cards and watch how they played and it just, people, it just caught on. Um, and the game exploded after it came out where poker people talking to you and like, did they feel like it was their movie? What was the reaction? Yeah. I mean, you know, poor Seidel still is like, every time I see him, he's like, oh God, man, <laughs> he's like, you killed me. Like showing the worst moment of my life. You know, it's like. We were talking um, about, we did other rewatchables. We were talking about how he's the big loser of that whole movie. Because yeah. he had like a top 10 career. Oh, he's a G, he's, he's a in that Rounders movie as a guy player. who gets worked. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he's, and he's, a, and he's, a, and he's an incredibly nice guy. Like he's, you know, he's a guy you really root for. Um, so uh, no, he was like, he, he yeah. Through no fault of his own, became yeah was the the big loser in that in that whole thing. Mike McD, yeah. What what's your mindset with Mike McD? Because basically, this guy just has a gambling problem, and he's full of shit, and he's got this one friend that he loves. But now you got to take that and turn it into something. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, I I because that's like a leading man, old school leading man. You got to carry this. Yeah, I have to root for Mike McD. Right. I think you have to believe that what was probably more the case then, as you were just saying, like that he was a top 10 player and that, that it's not gambling, especially back then. Right. Like there was a lot more soft money around. Like people know how to play the game. It's like jujitsu now, like everybody knows the guard. Right. But like 20 years ago, um, they didn't. And 20 years ago, player of that skill level would, you know, actually could probably live pretty well. Right. You know, what do you remember from the Coppola Levine script? Like, do you remember thinking this is rich and different and feels like I haven't read anything quite like this? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just remember believing all of the relationships. I love the way it, it um, you know, the, the relationship with, with the worm character, it's just, everyone has that friend, you know yeah. what I mean? And you're just like, fuck, you're just nothing but, tr- you're just nothing but trouble. You can't, you know, it, but you can't. The black cat in your life. Yeah. And you just see it with every decision they're going to make. They're going to make the wrong decision. Just like, it's, you're going to get fucked. You're going to get, your nose is going to get broken. Like, right. You know, but did not you think Norton you could did. do that? Because Warren was such a scumbag. He hadn't really played anybody like that. I think a guy can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, at that point he'd done Primal Fear, but the, you know, the people versus Larry Flint was, you know, and he was he was working on American History X. He had shot it, and he was uh, in the editing room, and he gave me a rough cut of that to watch, like while we were making rounders. And I was like, "Holy! Fuck. Why didn't you talk him out of the two hand reverse dunk in the pickup game?" Well, I mean, there's a certain point then you're only talking to somebody's <laughs> ego, <laughs> and it's not worth it. <laughs> you go, dude. That you know. Come on, man. Just make it a one hand. The, th- the, thing, on, the, the thing on the curb is unforgettable. Oh my but God. like the 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 two hand dunk is unforgettable for the wrong reasons. <laughs> so that movie takes off, but belatedly, it's like this belated success. It's like you get bounced from the playoffs in year one, 
or in round one, but then five years later, you find out that you actually like won some award that you didn't realize you won. You're the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, you're the Sacramento <laughs> Kings. You you're like the moral the victory champs. <laughs> you're the O2 pseudo champs. Yeah. I mean, well, it's also the business is so different. Like there was a DVD market, right? Yeah. And it's just evaporated. It's gone. So that was, I asked a studio head recently um, when we were promoting The Martian, I asked Jim Giannopoulos, like what, what was the real uh, effect of that? And he said 50%. 50% of business has been cannibalized by, well, it's just technology, right? And yeah. it's these different ways to deliver this stuff. But but in very real terms for us, that's why the movies have changed. That's why they won't make rounders anymore. They won't make Goodwill Hunting. They can't. Um, they would and, make it if he was a superhero. Yeah, but I mean, so- If he- But they wouldn't even make rounders. He came from Mars like, to play poker. Well, see- what it's been kind of replaced with is the international box office, right? And so what you want are movies that are big and really understandable to people all around the world across language and culture. Yeah. So that means talk less, make things more simple, white hat, black hat, superheroes. Like it makes total sense, right? Everybody knows who the good guy is. Everyone knows the bad guy is. And, and you know, and they spend $400 million and blow a lot of shit up and like you get your money's worth. And, and um, conversely, you can't put rounders or goodwill hunting into the, into a movie theater up against that stuff. See, I'm I mean, wondering it, if Netflix is going to fix that to some degree. Everybody's wondering that. Everyone's wondering what's going to happen. Cause I mean, think about what, just what they've done with like rom-coms and like teen common, like the stuff my daughter likes. Mm -hmm. Nobody was making those movies for eight, nine years. And right. that Netflix clearly had some algorithm. And yeah. They realized yeah. like, Oh, like your daughter or my daughter. It's like, they're underserved. Let's make movies for the, for these people. I hope so. I mean, I look, I, there's <clears throat> like the movie that's really gone is like the 20 to $70 million or 15 to $70 million uh, drama. There's just, you know, a lot of that's migrated to TV and you know, all right. So. Well, Rounders is the type of movie that's just gone. Yeah. Nobody's and I, I remember seeing, I, I saw, we took Behind the Candelabra to uh, the Cannes Film Festival because it was an international release yeah. uh, in, in theaters, theatrical release, but here it was on HBO. And I saw Harvey Weinstein at, uh, at, at uh, Cannes and I hadn't seen him in, and, and I hadn't seen him since he had passed on Behind the Candelabra. So I asked him, I was like, what, why did you fucking pass, man? This is like classic Miramax movie. And he remembered it was a year later and he, or a year and a half later. And he was like, it's a $23 million movie. I got to put at least that into PNA. That's at 50. I got to split it with the exhibitor. So now I got to make a hundred million dollars. Now I like you and Michael and I like Steven, but, but do I believe that movie's going to make a hundred million dollars? Definitely. And once it does, then I start to see, see profit. He goes, I, he goes, that's a tough bet. He goes, now that I've seen it, I should have done it probably. But he goes, it's just really, because that's the business. And so if you don't have a DVD behind that, right, that, or are these other ancillary monies that are going to, that are going to backstop you, it's a, it's what, what ends up happening, right? So I produced this movie, Manchester by the Sea, yeah. last year, a year or two ago. That's a classic movie. Like, had we made it 20 years ago, we would have made it for 20 million bucks, right? We made it for 8.8. .8. And- and we only got 8.8 .8 because Kimberly Stewart, who uh, uh, runs K period, came into came in and like independently financed it. 
the best other offer we got was four million bucks from Amazon. And we were, we were like, we can't make it for four. We can barely make it for eight. And but what's sad is that movie was exactly the type of movie you and I grew up with. Yes, and the kind of the movie Kramer that we versus loved. Kramer yes. type of yes. movie that got made. The verdict. All those movies got made over and over again. My entire childhood. Yes, and that was the kind of. That's why I wanted to be an actor. Were those movies right? Those yeah. kitchen sink dramas. And 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 well, the problem is that so you can still make them right. Nobody gets paid any money. You know, you the crew gets paid and you know uh well now you have to hope it's like and you're basically making it to try to win an award right and the only reason we won some awards with that was i mean i not the only reason i mean i'm very proud of the movie but amazon picked us up after and kind of were using us to prove themselves as a content you know prestige content provider yeah so it was like getting hit by a bus yeah i mean i talked to marketing people from other studios who were like they've probably spent 40 or north of 40 million dollars on the campaign for the movie right so it was suddenly everywhere that was because we had this big engine behind us but well, they're trying we to legitimize their own business right so we were we, we were just in the right place at the right time but going back to the production side of it like had we had more money to make that movie, you know, I love Manchester. I'm incredibly proud of it. But Kenny had a, an ending. There was this scene uh, where they were all on the on these boats. They were they were on the boat that the whole movie's kind of about. And it, yeah. and it was a flashback to when before Casey's kids had died, before his brother had died, when he was still married to Michelle. And it was this thing. They were all on this on this boat, and they were whale watching. Right. And it's this incredible moment of joy. And you see this family all together. And then these whales start breaching out of the water. And it's just, and you needed fucking drone cam and a fucking, I mean, it was one day of shooting. Right. And you got to get lucky with the whales. But either way, like we could have figured that out. But it was that, it was this epic. And so with, as, as the camera pulls butt back, as this family has experienced this incredible joy, and you know it's about to go horribly wrong for them, right? The camera's pulling up, 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 and it reveals all of these other boats all around it. And it's all these other families that are watching these whales, right? And it's like, this is one little story in this yeah. sea of stories, right? And it was epic and it was beautiful and it like tied the whole thing in. And it was, and we ran out of money, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, fuck, <laughs> like if- in retrospect, like we could have done that, but you don't know that it's Manchester until it comes out and everybody goes, holy shit, it's great. You know, I mean, more often than not, it's so hard to make those movies work. And there just used to be in the 90s so much more. The margins were so much greater that you, you had more money to, to swing and miss with. And as a result, you got better stuff. What's the most surprised you've ever been that a movie you made didn't work? There've been, there've been quite a few, man, uh, that I really wished worked better. Downsizing, I was really bummed out about. Um, you, so you thought that was going to hit? No, I just thought, well, I thought the critical response would be better because, because I believe we made what Alexander told me we were going to make, which was a Hal Ashby movie with special effects, you know? And it's, it's so fucking weird. (laughs) That's a good sell job. It is. It is. It was perfect for me. That was all I needed to hear. And but it's this, it takes this such a bizarre left turn. Yeah. Right. That's so insane. Like that they're going down the fjords in Norway and he falls in love with this one-legged Vietnamese political dissident who ends up, you know what I mean? And, and yet it's all this life affirming kind of, and it was so bizarre, but wonderfully bizarre that I thought, I thought film critics would go, this is the fucking kind of thing that people need to be making more of. Like, I'm so glad somebody put money into the, and instead it was like the opposite. It was like, what? 
Kristen Wiig doesn't get small and they don't have, a, it's not a screwball comedy. Like what's going on? And I just, I was just shocked by, not shocked. I mean, never shocked, but I, but I was, I, I, I would have bet that one wrong. I, I bet, obviously, I mean, I'm in it. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're all bets, I guess, to a certain degree. Like, you know where I stand based on whether I said yes or not. Well, um, the flip side of that would be The Martian, right? You knew that was going to be potentially good, but you didn't know it was going to be like No, and there was a lot more risk in The Martian because yeah. it was just me and it was going to be perceived as just me. And I remember having that long conversation and going like, all right, do I do this? This is, if this one misses, it would be bad. Right. Because it's a lot. It's a, it's, it's a $110 million movie. I mean, Ridley did it for 108. And you're in half of it by yourself, basically. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's, it's a, it would be a, it would be a kind of a personal rebuke if people just were like, fuck that. I don't want to see it. You know what I mean? Like it would be hard to, whenever one of these things doesn't work, you're always playing that shell game, right? Your agents out there going like, yeah, but here's what happened. Here's what really happened. Yeah, Yeah. And, and to a large extent, that's true. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I always tell people, you don't see the movie before you, you make it. You know, you get the you get the the ingredients for whatever you're cooking, and you get to see what the ingredients are. And you go, all right, with all these people around, we should be able to do something pretty good, and or hopefully great. Like ideally, you're starting out. Everyone think, hoping that it's great, and eventually you end up with something, you know, good. And and some of them just don't work. And I think it's like baseball. You can't go four for four every game, every game. Right. Yeah. You, no. want to go two for four, three for four with a dinger. Right. Occasionally you might go four for four and sometimes you're going to go for four. But I mean, you've now, this is like 25 years. You're cranking them out. Yeah. There's going to be a couple of downsizes that go, there you go. Oh man, what happened? Yeah. And yet looking back on it, like I don't, I would take that movie again. I mean, Alexander Payne, I mean, that's the first movie he had that wasn't a critical and box office hit, you know, maybe I killed him. The only um, one but, I would have stopped you from was the golf movie. Uh, you couldn't swing a golf club. I'd never swung one. Before. I know I had less than a month to learn. I, I talked myself <laughs> you speed, into that. You speed rushed <laughs> I speed rushed a game that you cannot, speed, but, but I know it was. And, and also just, it, it just, Look, don't get me started. It's tw- it's over 20 years and it's still painful. But I look, I really really wanted to work with Robert Redford. Yeah. Um and and Ordinary People was kind of a touchstone for us and and yet another movie that wouldn't get made now. Right. Right. And and I got a lot out of it. I got a lot out of working with Will. Um I loved Will. I mean, what a what a gentleman that guy is and and um really does it right. So and, it seems like you were trying to have experiences with different types of directors, yeah. directors, stars, whoever, like yeah. trying to gleam certain things from whoever. Yeah. Not making, which is smart. Not what's the saying, not making uh great, the enemy of good, like not, not like just working. Like the other thing was this whole upheaval in my life was happening and I'd get more uncomfortable when I wasn't working. Like, yeah. so I just, I really put my head down for like five years and, just stayed on the road and worked and, and felt very protected in, you know, among movie crews, among, you know, there was none of that fame shit and none of that stuff kind of infecting those dynamics. Did you see what was happening from the outside with you and Affleck where people were kind of pigeonholing you as these two, like Affleck somehow became the guy from the movie from uh, Goodwill Hunting. You were like the smart guy who was making Career choices, and he was the dumbass who's just making big budget movies. Yeah, and and that was really hurtful 
to be honest. Like I remember the first time was Saturday Night Live, seeing Saturday Night Live, and they portrayed Ben as like some fucking Neanderthal. Yeah. You know, who literally couldn't talk. And it was so offensive and so not true. And so kind of, it's like, I, you know, and, and also, so we shot Goodwill Hunting. I remember Ben, we were in, after seeing like a rough cut of the movie or something, we were with at Miramax and uh, Ben asked Harvey to please call Michael Bay because he was up for this movie, this movie Armageddon. And I remember thinking, oh, that's really smart because maybe maybe Michael Bay will listen to Harvey or maybe that'll tip the scales for you. Like, I would have done Armageddon. Yeah. It just, we, we had no idea where things were going to go for us. We needed jobs, right? And I had I had lucked out and been cast in Saving Private Ryan, right? So, so those movies came out the following summer. Armageddon and Saving Private Ryan came out the same summer. And then it was like, oh, Matt's the serious guy and Ben's the big popcorn movie guy and it was just like no i mean <laughs> we would we would have done the other job you know what i mean it, there was no so so it was just terrifically unfair and then and then it took a long time for ben to kind of write that ship publicly privately everyone who knows ben knows ben but but it wasn't until I think, you know, he started directing and, and started directing some really good movies and then one best picture that people were like, oh, fuck, he's really smart, <laughs> you know? Yeah, his career's had a lot of incarnations, but it's been a lot of things that we've seen before with other people's careers, you know? Like Hollywood loves a comeback. Yeah, you, yeah. You could see and it I when he did Gone I, Baby Gone. It was like, oh, Affleck, he, he's back. It's like, well, right. we were all burying him. Like, it's, Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he was there the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And- and I think he, he, whether he internalized that cr- criticism, I don't know, but certainly he, he seemed, he handled it way better than I can. I'm, I'm way more thin skinned and maybe that's why he takes bigger swings. Maybe he's like, fuck it. I'll play Batman. You know, I never would have done that. <laughs> I would have been like, why? You know, the downside. <laughs> why? Don't do that. I actually you know? did. Um, I did a mailbag when I was at Grantland and somebody asked me why Ben Affleck did Batman. Cause he was you know, who's on this great run. And I was like, this is kind of like his fuck you role. Yeah. Like, everyone counted him out. He made this huge comeback. And this is like the 07 Pats thrown deep to Randy Moss when they're up 48 to 10. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like, fair. fuck this, fuck you. I'm telling well, you, I'm going to be Batman. I think that's true. And I think there's also the very real aspect of his son was three. And trying to impress your son. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and people don't realize that. Well, Actors Batman just want to impress their kids. I remember being at Ben's birthday party years ago, and and Toby was there, and Ben and Toby had a conversation about, and Toby was just talking about what his son thinks. He goes, "When Otis sees me, he goes, it's, you know, Thinks it's a Spider-Man. real thing, man. Yeah. It's fucking cool. My kid, even for a couple years, thinks I'm Spider Man, or thinks, you know, and and so I think that was definitely a very real component to him doing that. You know? So when you make And some- also because Ben classically thinks he can fix everything. He is he is the most optimistic. I've said this about him for, you know, we used to go to movies and we'd come out and our whole group of friends, what'd you think? Well, that sucked. That sucked. And ben go, yeah, but you know what would have made it better? This and this and this and this. And he would literally just do, just script doctor it in the parking yeah. lot. And suddenly he'd make a movie that everyone wanted to see. 
And so early on in his career, I think he got put in these situations where he knew how to script doctorate and they weren't letting him. And so then, so what directing allowed him to do was be the person making the decisions. And that's why the movies that he directs are really good. Um, Cause you, you never wanted to, you never really wanted to go down the directing road. I do. I, I really want to direct. And I, I almost directed Manchester. I almost directed Promised Land, which is this little movie about uh, oh, that's right. You, you Manchester fell through, right? You were supposed to direct that. I was going to direct it. And yeah. then I was, and then I decided, and, and then I was like, wait, I'll, I'll play the role because Kenny had, Lonergan had, had had a really bad experience with his previous movie. And, and it was, when I read the script, I was like, Kenny, man, you got to direct this. This is, you know, this is not a writing assignment. Like you, you got in there and this is, this is your story to tell. And, um, Maybe and, you can direct the father of the bride remake that you're going to do to impress your daughters. <laughs> Actually, if you want to impress your daughters, remake idea. that movie. Remake make this, make this sequel. Bride. Oh God, there are movies like that that we could bring back around. I'm sure that would. That one. Wanna, I mean, there's some there. You know this. There's some certain dad daughter movies that are out there. Yeah, and that's like one of the icons. But yeah. Um, <laughs> I think with Netflix throwing around the money. I forgot to ask you um, before we go, Rounders 2. Yeah. It was going to happen. Yeah, Every I mean, time I saw you, I asked you about it. And Compliment I was like, wanted to happen. It's yeah, not happening. It's 2018. I, well, I mean, you know, we had, Copeland and Levine had a whole pitch. They pitched it to Harvey. Harvey said yes in the room and then never called back. Um. And so I'm pretty sure you guys could get rounders two made. I don't know. I mean, I, it'd be interesting. Like in, in this, you know, I mean, I, what would it cost? I mean, I'm pretty sure Netflix just greenlit it. Listening to somebody at Netflix right now. <laughs> well, we do it. If Netflix budget. wants to do it. We, we'll, we'll do it. I mean, it's a great, like what happened to these, you know, what happened to these characters and, and have they ever told you the pitch? It's really good. I mean, it's I really think, good. And it's, and it's everybody, you know what I mean? It's like, we'd want Dahl to come back and direct Edward, John, John, you know, everybody, all of us, like what happened to the whole group? Well, the best part of the, like the fact that Mike McDee at the end of that movie goes to Vegas. Right. And he's like, world series of poker. Could this be my day? But it's 1998. Right. I'm watching. I barely know anything about poker. I don't really know the world series of poker it wasn't on TV or if it was, I wasn't right. watching it. But then moneymaker happens in 03. This movie gets yeah. That was a big one. Moneymaker was a big yeah, one. yeah. And now Mike McD trying to win the World Series of poker, like it actually made the ending seem so much more realistic. So now if you catch up with him in the late two thousands. I don't know. Well, he, and and do you think he's Johnny Chan? Like, is he that good? Like, is he one of those guys? And I always saw him as one of those guys. But the question would be, right? The new these new kids coming up on the, online, and he's like one of the old lions, and he's one of the old lions, right? And so it's like there's these different generations. There's the Doyle generation, right? There's the Mike McD generation, right? It's like which is you, my generation, which are kind of caught in between. Like, and then there's the new fucking cyborg generation, right? right. And these kids are kids or whatever, young men and women are amazing card players. And so can you beat, can, you know, can he, can this, can the analog generation, the kind of crossover generation, compete with that and 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 how do all of these characters who are all a part of that generation edward and Turturro and malkovich and you know all of those players are in that generation so how would they it's like you and daniel negranu and phil helmuth 
Right. Phil, Phil Helmuth and uh, Phil Ivey. Right. Mike McDee's like, he's, he's one in, of those He's guys. in that cohort. Right? Yeah, exactly. he's in that yes. group. Yes. So I was thinking, um, you know. Seidel. Seidel. Yeah. Yeah, Seidel needs a win in rounders too. Seidel needs a we fucking do. win. Seidel <laughs> should just beat the shit out of me in rounders too, dude. I, I, I owe him. I definitely owe him. Rounders that. two. Seidel beats Mike McDee in the World Series of Poker. <laughs> exactly. And then cries. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was thinking with, with uh, if rounders two never happens, I think the natural thing is billion season eight. <laughs> Mike McDee is now a billionaire. And gets brought in. He gets brought. I love it. As he's he's running a hedge fund. He's been in a poker game with Axe from Billions. Right. It gets a little heated, and now he decides to destroy Axe. Four episode arc. I'm going to take down Axe Capital. I think you should do it. Just think it. Keep it on your radar. I do a four episode. I don't know if your daughters will be impressed. Guys. That show's awesome too. That show's really fun. At some point, you're going to have to go on it. I would love to. Yeah. I mean, I would. I would. I have a lot of my friends around that show. I forgot to ask you when Malkovich unleashed that Russian accent. What was your reaction in the room? Oh, good. This is one of my favorite stories, good. actually. Um, so the 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 build up to Malkovich getting there was extraordinary. I mean, it was like, you know, he had one of those deals where he was there for a week. Yeah, and you know, we start shooting in December. You know, Malkovich is coming like February first, and so for the whole run of the show, it was like Malkovich is coming. Malkovich, hey kid, kid, you ready? He's coming. You know he's coming, right? Malkovich, yeah. Malkovich is coming. It was like this, and he has real gravitas in the mid nineties. Oh fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's like one of the most elusive, talented yes. actors, enigmatic that we had. Yes, and he also happens to be one of my closest friends. Terry Kinney started Steppenwolf with him, and, and so I actually had a connection to him. Um, that 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 kind of took him a little out of the icon status, which was nice, which was helpful for me. Yeah, because it, it was the buildup was like he's coming, he's coming. You know, you're gonna be, you're gonna be able to hold your. You're sitting across the table from him. Yeah. So he shows up, and the first time we roll, he goes, "If you don't have my money, <laughs> then you are mine." And they go cut, and everybody just spontaneously erupts into applause. Oh, they were just in right away. Oh, they're like, fuck, he's amazing. <laughs> and it's just me and him. Yeah. And I'm looking at him across the table. Like, what are you doing? And then they go, take two. If you don't have my money, then you are mine. <laughs> and again, they erupt into, you know, the crew's like, fuck, he's here. Malkovich is here. And I just was looking at him and he sees me. I guess I'm like giving him the one eye. I don't even mean to. And he like leans over the table and he kind of beckons for me. And I lean across the poker table and he whispers in my ear and he goes, I'm a terrible actor. (laughs) (laughs) It was the fucking greatest. It was like, it was, there was so much in that, you know what I mean? That I still, to this day, like treasure because it's like, you have to keep fucking grinding. Like sometimes people aren't going to tell you, you know, which is not to say that I didn't like his performance in the movie. I loved it. And he, and he was and the, and the accent, he was walking around with a tape recorder, the actress from Burnt by the Sun, the Russian movie that had won the Oscar. She had, she had recorded all of his lines for him. So he he was, it wasn't that he was, he was grinding, but (laughs) But, you know. I actually think it hurt the first viewing of the movie, like when you're in the theater for it. But then it gains steam each time. 
So well, I remember it, in the theater being like, what the fuck is going on? He's going to talk that way the whole time. But 20 years later, it's like, I'm like, so glad he did it yes, that way. Me too. Me too. It's yeah. so much better. It is. It is. And he just absolutely was like at an 11 for everything, for the whole thing, you know, and it was, yeah. it was brilliant, you know. Can we agree that Mike McDee, after he wins the 60 grand at the end, and he kind of taunts Teddy KGB about it and says, I could go on busting you all night, that the Russians just immediately kill him. At yeah, time, it's right? amazing that, you know, there's there no way he gets that, out of there. Well, the other thing I never, you know, he's got, you know, the Fomka, Fomka's character, you know, Fomka Jansen, who it keeps saying to him, why don't you come back and play cards? And why didn't, I'm like, why didn't they get married? <laughs> right. <laughs> he was like, she clearly, she like, she kisses him at one point. She's like, she wants to be in a relationship with him. I'm like, Mike, what's your problem? Like, she seems to get you. <laughs> like, you guys really like to do the same stuff. Like, this is so I've known Koppelman and Levine since I wrote about Rounders when I was at ESPN a million years ago. And this is my number one question I asked them, and I bring it up like every two years. Like, she comes back in, his girlfriend's moved out, his wet blanket girlfriend yes. that, that just didn't really like him and approve of poker. Gretchen, the great Gretchen Mall. We, Right. Shout her out, please. Yeah. Well, she she didn't like Mike McDade. She didn't support she his didn't. poker. She, well, she was like, she, she, they were in law school together. She was like, she, she didn't get it. it. She didn't get it. And she was like, you have this shot at a career at a lawyer. Like, get your shit together. You know, she was more, way more traditional. And he was like, I can't do that. Well, I'm we not. didn't need her in the movie. What we needed was <laughs> Famke comes in. You have no furniture left. You're watching like yeah. Johnny Chan, some old poker thing. And she comes in and is like, oh, the 1989 World Series of Poker. Right. Watch the discipline. And then she wants to have sex with him and he turns her down. Yeah, I didn't. And it's, I didn't, it's, I didn't, it's one yeah. of the biggest mistakes in movie history. Yeah. They know I, it I'm though. They admit it. I'm not going to fight you on that one. I, I didn't get that at all. It's also, it's not even just, even like to, I mean, it's just, I mean, she totally gets the guy. You know what I mean? Like the most important thing in his life is the most important thing in her life. Like how could they have- like, how did that relationship go off the rails? Because <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's like they they kind of I think they suggest that there was a relationship before for them, right? So it's like, well, what happened? Maybe that's part of Rounders too. Well, he should be. They're they together. should be. They should be married, <laughs> definitely. But now the Russians are involved. Right. And the Russians, you know, ninety eight. The Russians. It was like post Cold War. Not quite as dangerous. No, right. As they were in right. the eighties with right. the Ivan Drago era, and now right. it's back. They're dangerous again. Right. I wonder so how dangerous Teddy KGB is. He's dead. I think he he they killed him after he lost no, the we 60K. Gotta bring back, we got to bring back Malkovich. <laughs> Make this happen. You're a powerful I, man. Uh, dude, I believe me. How Look, many I can't, there are so many movies. movies that I can't get made. <laughs> it's incredible. What are you like, talking about? I'm telling you, dude. It's it's You made it's, five born movies. I know. Those are the easier ones to get made nowadays. Those um the, those bigger ones, oddly enough, are uh, actually e- easier to get off the ground a lot of the time than the. You couldn't than, stop Fever Pitch, though. I know. Well, come on. I, we, lo- I love a- I love Pete and Bobby. I lo- I never saw Fever Pitch to be fair, but uh, no, we need the right Red Sox fan. The right Red Sox movie has not happened. Well, yet. they also had their whole. They they had to rewrite. I remember the ending because we won in 04. It did kill the movie. So, so, it didn't kill us, but right. it killed it the movie. It certainly didn't kill us. I was saying to somebody recently, the fact that the the Red Sox can go in a swoon with the Yankees coming at, nipping at their heels all of a sudden 
used to be the worst thing that could happen to me right. and would ruin my summer. Right. And now it bounces off me and I'm not scared at all. And it's the biggest thing that's changed in my life. That's not actually that fear. People who aren't from Boston don't, I don't think could appreciate the level to which that is true. And that, and that, and that's something so deeply and psychically or kind of, kind of existentially uh, important changed for us in 2004, like in a deep, deep, deep way everything changed like it was like living in a house in a terrible neighborhood and being afraid you're going to be robbed every night (laughs) and then all of a sudden you got the best security system ever and you had like four armed guards outside it's like all right i'm gonna go no or you just walked out the next day and the neighborhood is really nice (laughs) (laughs) you're like like, what happened but this place is fine i love this my god yeah it really um yeah, it doesn't get me the way it used to. It just was, it was, it was like, it was responsible for like an underlying kind of baseline of anger, I think, in like everybody from the greater Boston area. I remember going to the, walking up onto, onto Boylston Street and watching the duck boats go by and just by myself and just crying. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, I was well, 30, it's funny, like, 34 if, years old. In Goodwill Hunting, it immortalizes the fist comer, which was kind of like how we won the World Series as Red Sox fans, even though right. we actually didn't win the right. series. But right. people felt like we won the World Series because we won that game. Because we that was as close as we were gonna come. Yeah. Oh God. And Aaron Boone was the year before. It's just a disaster. Yeah, it's terrible. Matt Damon. Um, um did thank- we talk enough about rounders? I feel I feel uh did, did, I didn't ask you about the climactic poker confrontation scene in Rounders, because that's the last thing we can hit. Um, yeah, because in the beginning of the movie, you, you when he gets cleaned out, and I I called it when I wrote about the movie, I called it the Mike McD face, which is that kind of all yeah. my money's gone, which is the same face. The reason I think you're able to pull it off because it's a really good memorable face, but it's the Buckner Sheraldi face. It's the, <laughs> it's the we just lost the World Series in 13 pitches and face. Fucking Koppelman's like a Mets fan. <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah. So you're just able to tap into that and do it. They had that line about Buckner walking back into Shea, I remember in the voiceover, which I ended up doing, but it was a highly contested line. I was just like, I don't want to say it out loud. I don't want to say that out loud. And and Brian said, but it's the perfect metaphor. Yeah. It really is. And I and I said, I understand why it's <laughs> like, I understand why you wrote it, guys. It's very hard for me to say. What know? did you try to change it to? I didn't. I didn't even suggest an alt. I just said, I fucking just give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and every group. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's like getting punched in the stomach is how, and, and, and how, and how they referred to it, Brian and David, because Brian had been felt it a couple of times and he goes, it's a, it's. Think of it that way, because that's the that's what it is. It's like a physical. It's like someone just just uppercutted you to the stomach. It's actually the perfect analogy, and I don't know. Even though that movie's twenty years old, I still think it's the right sports analogy. I don't know what else. No, I don't either. I, I don't. nothing's really happened since that. It was probably worse than that. Where you have like Buckner Shea. I know exactly what that right. is. I know right. exactly how much pain immediately. Right. Right. I, th- I think it still works. So then you have the game. Are you? Do you feel like you're good at faking being a poker player at this point, or do you actually feel like you're a poker player? No, I definitely didn't feel like a poker player. I, I felt like, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> unlike the golf movie, 
Um, <laughs> I had about 30 days to learn how to play poker. Too. Yeah. But um, luckily there wasn't a physical manifestation like a swing with which you could see, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I got to watch a lot of people play. And so I got to observe them play and see how little they do, you know, cause you obviously don't want to, you, you know, you don't want to tip your hand. Right. So you, so. But it's a little attitude smack talk too, which is. There was more back house. then. Yeah. yeah. Now guys are just in their sunglasses. Get the AirPods on. on yeah. and, you know, their hats over their faces and it's like, you might as well be playing online. But, but back then it, there were, there were a lot, there was a lot more talking. Um, and, uh, and so, and Brian got me into those games. Like, you know, we had a technical advisor named Mike Selza who ran one of those clubs, I think, and, and, uh, or, or new people or whoever it was, but he got us in and I got sweat some of these players, you know, and that's when they allow you to sit behind them and look at their whole cards and, um, you know, and, and watch how they're playing the hand. And, uh, and so I, so it was just, that was all just based on, on kind of what I saw in those, in those situations, but also the dynamic, look, I'm a writer also. So I know there's got, you know, there's gotta be some drama. It can't be, you know, the hat down and the sunglasses. It's, it's the showdown with, you know, your antagonist and it's the two, two, it's the duel at the end, right. In the, in the middle of the main street. And the Oreos. Right. And the Oreos. Right. Which was, I mean, a little bit of a tell. Yeah. But the thing is, when I saw that movie and I didn't know that much about poker, I missed it. I didn't totally get it in right. the moment, you know? It's so big, right? And in shot and so close up, so such close up, it, it, as I remember, I, again, I haven't seen it in a long time, but uh, it, it's, it's almost kind of, dist- it, it, it almost hides behind how big we, we made it in yeah. a sense. Because it becomes about Malkovich and it's just this kind of juicy close up and- and then later you realize, oh, he's unscrewing the Oreo next to his ear. Like, you know, it's one of the one of the biggest like, tells you could have. It's like the worst tell of all time. <laughs> but uh, but the way Dahl shot it, I think, was really cinematic and beautiful, and kind of we got away with it. So rounders two, you're ready. You're yeah, ready for something, I, I, dude. I I've been. You can ask Koppelman, man. I've been. We've been talking about it. We just don't. I, I don't know if I don't know if uh, if if the Weinstein Company has the the rights to it. I don't even know if the wine, was the Weinstein company exist anymore. I mean, I was in like, so I don't even know what, then what happens? I don't. What um, happens to all the stuff they have the rights to? Yeah. They probably own all this IP that they, they'll probably try to sell off. So, so maybe by saying I want to do it, you know, we're fucking us because then they're, they're going to try to rob a bank when they sell it, you know, and or they'll never be able to make it. Get. What's that? They're grabbing what they can get when they finally sell stuff off, maybe. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I, you I don't know. You might need but, to get Affleck in this. <laughs> well, he's, he's a real card player, I know, actually. he plays all the time. Yeah, he's 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 genuinely good. I mean, he, I mean, you have to play so often to be genuine. I mean, he was, he was, I mean, he was good enough to win. I mean, he beat 350. I mean, it was like TJ Cloutier. Like, they were like legit people that he beat in that right. in that tournament. I think he won... I think it was like 350 grand or something he won. He's no Toby though. No, he, no. People he, are like afraid of Toby Maguire. Yeah, I, I've only played with Toby once. And Ben said like, don't ever, ever, ever get involved in a hand with him. Like he is, he is not only, he's like the best, you know, celebrity card player. He's like, it's not even close. He's like, he is, he's just legit by, I mean, I think he, you know, I think that's his major source of income. I think because the other thing is like, it's so like NBA players that he's playing poker against. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, there, there, you know, there were like Annie Duke who used to, uh, train Ben. She used to, they were friends and she gave him lessons, right. And taught him really how to play. And, um, and she used to get played back at a lot when she was in Montana and when she, because she was a woman. Right. And these guys, right. She knew that at some base level, they couldn't believe that she was that fucking much better than they were. Right? Yeah. She was just, Oh, I'm just little Annie. I just don't, Oh, what am I doing? Right. And she just smoked all of them because she was a world-class player. And, and, so what she was really good at with Ben was teaching him how to use his kind of celebrity the same way in those games, right? You get in those games and people are like, it's fucking Ben Affleck. What does he know? Yeah. Right? It's a fucking actor, right? And meanwhile, he's a fucking assassin. Yeah. And you just lost 20 grand to him, right? Like a Wall Street person, right? And then, and then there's the Wall Street. There are people just like, I don't care. I just want to be in a hand with Ben Affleck. But so those games, those cash games, I think got crazy. And I think Toby, you know, Toby's like, by all accounts, I mean, I'm, you know, by all accounts, he is like, like a world-class poker player. Maybe that's the plot for Rounders too. That just Toby- Mike McTee's <laughs> in a blood feud with Toby <laughs> McGuire, but it's <laughs> the real Toby McGuire. <laughs> it's actually Toby McGuire. I thought you were just going to suggest Toby plays Mike McTee, which would no. actually be good too. No, it's like uh, a being John Malkovich thing where he's right. actually in the movie as, as Toby himself. McGuire. Or when Julie Roberts was in Ocean's 12 as herself. Right, right. That could be good. I think we came up with it. Matt Damon, this was fun. Thank you. Thank you, guys.